Hello, this is Rustin Smith, and welcome to the second episode of the From the Post podcast. Based on some feedback we received from the first episode, um, we've decided to try a slightly different structure going forward. Um, and so if you could continue giving feedback on this new structure, uh, that would be fantastic because it really does help us make sure that you're getting the, the best possible podcast. So from what we're going to do, uh, from what we're going to do from now on, I should say, is uh, do uh, topic-based episodes. So rather than fitting in all the news into one episode, we're going to be doing each episode on kind of a different uh, topic or area. Um, so today's episode will be on politics. Uh, tomorrow's episode will be on uh, business and not entirely sure yet uh, what Wednesday's episode will be on. That sort of depends on the developments of the news. But today's episode will be a politics episode, as there's a lot to discuss. So the main story today uh, has to relate to Omicron, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 variant driving a lot of uncertainty um, and COVID-19 changes in the world. Uh, and particularly in Britain, it's caused a significant amount of anxiety uh, in the government. Uh, and... Tomorrow will be the vote, uh, some people calling it Super Tuesday, really a set of three votes on COVID-19 restrictions that have been brought in, uh, so-called Plan B restrictions. And in the run-up to that vote, Boris Johnson made an address last night where he warned that Britain faces a tidal wave of Omicron cases, and he ordered a massive expansion of the uh, booster jab campaign. Uh, in the statement that he made last night, he claimed that all adults should be offered a booster jab by, uh, by the new year. But today, there's been some issues with both booking booster jabs on the uh, NHS vaccine website, and also some huge queues have been seen outside uh, walk-in vaccination centers. So whether that goal can be reached really remains to be seen. But right now, the most relevant part is that Super Tuesday vote. Uh, so again, it's, it's three votes, each of them on a slightly different component of the so-called Plan B restrictions. Um, but the most controversial vote, and that which will face most opposition from uh, the conservative side, at least, will be the vaccine passport vote. So far, we're up to about 80 Tory MPs uh, saying that they won't. Uh, vote for it, which is just about the majority that Johnson has uh, in Parliament. Now, Labour's already said they will vote for it, and in fact, uh, uh, today, Keir Starmer made a uh, address uh, describing why Labour would support these measures and why Labour would support vaccine uh, passports. And basically, he said that it was uh, their duty to look out for public health, and that they, they, they need to ensure that the, the country was protected. Uh, and they felt that these measures would, would do that. It goes along really with, with Labour's line throughout the, the, the pandemic, which is basically to support the government's uh, COVID-19 measures, uh, to support uh, pretty restrictive uh, public health measures uh, as well. But again, that will let the vote go through or have the vote go through, but it is still highly significant that Boris Johnson has essentially lost his Tory majority in this vote. Of course, we don't know the exact way it will play out. Uh, the amount of MPs that have, have 
publicly said they won't vote for at least the vaccine passport uh, component of the restrictions is in the 70s. It, it's changing constantly. So I think it's at around 76 currently, uh, but it's expected that that will continue going up. Um, so this is going to be a really crucial week for Boris Johnson, because while these measures are still likely to go through, like I said, because of labor support, we are seeing a serious Tory frustration with Johnson that's only continued to increase. And this vote is only going to expose that even more. Um, we've also heard that there's a number of parliamentary private secretaries. So these are basically the government's eyes and ears inside the commons. Uh, a number of uh, parliamentary private secretaries who are considering uh, resigning. Uh, I think there's about 14 of them uh, that are in a group chat. It's been revealed in a group chat discussing sort of how they should respond and and whether resignations are coming. There was uh, reportedly going to be a resignation last night that, that didn't go ahead from one of these uh, PPSs. We're not sure exactly who that was, um, but that hasn't happened. But we could see those resignations coming uh, because it does pose a difficult problem for these PPSs. We're probably going to see a basically a, a three-line whip for the Tories to vote for these measures, uh, which means the most kind of strongest or, or severe whipping that you can uh, do in the Commons, which means that MPs are told they have to vote for it. But again, we're going to see such a huge rebellion here that that's obviously not going to go ahead. Um, that that's not going to be that's not going to do much. Uh, again, like I said, almost at the majority of the Conservatives have have already said that they are not going to vote for it publicly. And again, there's likely to be more. Um, and frankly speaking, this is going to this is going to cause a real problem for Boris Johnson. Now, again, it sort of depends on the public response. I think that that if uh, if the public seems on board with these measures, then OK, then it, it might be fine. But I still think the public frustration is high and then the Tory frustration uh, within his parliamentary party is very, very, very high. And no matter the public support for these measures, that is unlikely to change. Uh, on Thursday, we have the North Shropshire by-election, uh, in which the Tories are looking at what would have been a really shock defeat to the Lib Dems. Uh, current polling shows that the, the Lib Dems are likely to take it. That's only going to cause more frustration within the uh, parliamentary party, and it's going to continue to raise serious questions over Johnson's leadership. We also have the cabinet secretary, Simon Case, coming out with his ruling or findings on uh, on the issues around Christmas parties last year during lockdowns and tier three in, in London. Um, now, obviously, that's sort of an internal investigation. It is the cabinet secretary. And there's even accusations the cabinet secretary, Simon Case, may have been at some of these events. So in terms of how objective this investigation will be, it remains to be seen, but we do expect those findings by uh, the end of the week. So those are really the main uh, stories driving at least the, the parliamentary side of things and the government side of things. Um, and I think that uh, really what will determine whether Johnson can hold on is whether he can get the public back on his side, right? Because he's already kind of alienated a lot of his MPs. Uh, both by sort of his behavior and his perceived incompetence and the these, this party scandal has certainly worsened that. I think also Owen Patterson case and uh, the threats on second jobs that a lot of MPs face now, that's also 
uh, worsen this perception that Johnson has kind of lost control. Um, but I think if he can get the uh, booster jab campaign done in the way that he wants, which is basically most adults, almost all adults really should be offered it by New Year, as he said, then then maybe he holds on. That is going to really depend, like I said, on the booster campaign and how Omicron goes. If this gets worse, if they don't get those booster jabs done, or if we're seeing huge amounts of hospitalizations that the government thinks require more restrictions, then we could see a real, real, real serious problem for Johnson. So that's something to keep an eye on this week. Uh, the vote tomorrow, the three votes, and then the Thursday by-election, as well as the uh, announcement of the findings of the investigation. But no one really expects that that's going to uh, be much, or that there's going to be any sort of uh, punishment there. Um, I should also note that uh, today, um, the boss of NHS providers, uh, Chris Hobson, uh, came out with a Twitter thread uh, explaining uh, why the health service was currently so strained and how Omicron hospitalizations could make that uh, so much worse. A uh, kind of key quote from that thread was that NHS staff are completely flat out and beyond full stretch and that the NHS is busier than ever before this time of year. Um, he said that there was major workforce and demand challenges and said that this was before the full impact of winter and Omicron. Now, this really goes to uh, to another issue that the government has, which is that the NHS has been for years now uh, really overstretched, uh, really underserviced. Uh, they have a huge backlog of appointments that have been canceled, of face-to-face -face meetings that need to happen between patients and doctors that haven't happened. Uh, this was worsened significantly by the pandemic, but is, was the case before. And now we're seeing the possibility of appointments and uh, surgeries and operations that were meant to go ahead now after being cancelled during uh, the initial uh, COVID-19 waves, uh, those being pushed back even further. Sajid Javid, uh, the uh, health secretary, uh, earlier today said that the booster jabs were the most important face-to-face -face appointments that could be had by patients. And that caused a lot of, uh, a lot of controversy, quite a lot of uh, outrage. Uh, understandably so, really. I mean, there's a lot of appointments and operations that haven't been happening over the last two years, serious appointments and operations that haven't been happening, and it came off as a little bit flippant to a lot of people. I think, frankly, the point that, that Javid was making was that uh, right now we're in a race against time with the Omicron variant, and this is something the government has emphasized a lot, that it's basically a race. We're trying to give as most boosters out as we can, and Omicron is kind of taking over the population. It's thought that about 20% of COVID-19 cases at present are uh, of the Omicron variant. Uh, and Boris Johnson announced today that there had been uh, at least one death of a patient with uh, the variant. Now, we don't entirely know whether that was as a result of that variant, whether they caught it in hospital as a result of something else. But it does put an emphasis on the fact that the government is really worried about this. They've been accused many times of acting uh, too late uh, against COVID. And I think they want to avoid that now. But as a lot of Tory MPs have pointed out, there is a possibility of overreacting here. And if this is a significantly more mild uh, disease than previous uh, uh, variants, then it could really put into question the government's judgment-making decision on a lot of these measures. So that's, again, something to look out for. The hospitalization data around Omicron and then also deaths that can be attributed uh, to Omicron will be something that a lot of analysts and also the government will be looking at very closely over the next couple of weeks. 
in other news, uh, it's been said that Downing Street is trying to figure out a way to really uh, clean up their operations. They've been marred by a lot of scandal and the perception of chaos. Uh, and they're looking for ways to try to uh, bring in some structure. There's some talk that they may bring in uh, David Canzini, who is a uh, director at Linton Crosby's CTF partner. Linton Crosby is an Australian political strategist who's been credited with uh, Johnson's 2019 win and has also been credited with a lot of other kind of political wins uh, around the world. Um, and David Canzini is a really kind of tough director over there. Um, and so there are there are discussions currently ongoing, it seems, uh, between Number 10 and Canzini about possibly uh, bringing him in to be essentially an enforcer, uh, to sort of clean up the organization and also to ensure that all uh, staff and presumably also MPs are uh, on board with the government. Uh, there has been a real perception uh, throughout uh, Johnson's whole term that there is no clear central structure within number 10 to ensure that all arms are coordinated and that number 10 is coordinating with other government departments. This is something that was uh, made worse in many people's minds by the presence of Dominic Cummings, who uh, put a lot of emphasis on sort of breaking down structures, changing things within government, uh, making uh, departments more dynamic and uh, kind of cutting off the fat, but with no real structural replacement for those cuts. And I think my view on this is that number 10 is really seeing the effects of that lack of structure now and that cutting off the fat with no real replacement. Um, a lot of the people within number 10 as well are very young, pretty inexperienced. Um, and so that certainly isn't helping. And so in terms of the government's view, in terms of Johnson's view, uh, bringing in a so-called enforcer like Canzini could be beneficial, but it also comes with risks. There is a risk that bringing in someone who with the explicit purpose of being essentially an enforcer, a guy who an MP described, an anonymous MP, a Tory MP described as a hard man, um, that that may possibly further alienate components within Downing Street and may also worsen the relationship with Parliament. Again, we're seeing rebellions uh, among Tory MPs, those rebellions are likely to get worse as basically the vultures do seem to be circling Johnson a little bit. There's been reports that Theresa May has been working behind the scenes uh, to undermine Johnson's premiership. She sees Johnson as the, the person who pushed her out. Uh, and now maybe she's come back to return the favor. And so there's likely to be more rebellions as time goes on, especially if more COVID action is taken by the government. And so having a sort of hard man enforcer in the building may worsen those relationships. Um, so again, that is going to be a really key uh, hire or not hire for number 10 in the coming weeks. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the North Shropshire by-elections. So the Tories have a 22,949-person uh, majority in North Shropshire. But as I mentioned, the Lib Dems could certainly overtake them. So this is uh, Owen Patterson's former seat. Um, and so it's a real kind of inflection point for numerous issues, both this issue of lobbying and that kind of scandal over Owen Patterson, and also the Christmas parties 
and also COVID restrictions, and also Johnson's perceived incompetence, right? All this is kind of playing out at the same time in North Shropshire, and a lot and canvassing data, canvassing data is showing uh, the party now neck and neck with Tories, um, and that actually indicates that maybe we're going to see a Lib Dem win. Again, it's it's it, we can't say entirely because it is close, but the amount of gains that the Lib Dems have made on the Tories, again, we're talking about an almost 23,000 vote majority in this constituency. This should not be a a close race at all, but it is. And that's indicating some real deep frustration among the public with the government. And I think with Boris Johnson in particular. Um, and so again, by by voting Lib Dem, we can see a lot of people basically staging essentially a, a protest vote. They're not going to vote Labour. It's not going to go that way. But it certainly could go to the Lib Dems. Um, and a number of Tory MPs have been visiting the seat and uh, and have been privately saying, at least, they think that the, the Lib Dems will win. Uh, the Lib Dems certainly think that they're in uh, good standing. Um, behind the scenes, Lib Dems have been talking a lot to the press about how they think that it's uh, that they've really uh, got North Shropshire in their hands now. Again, this is partly uh, some a political strategy. So when the Lib Dems are going to go out there and, and talk to the Times and Financial Times about uh, their perceived prospects, uh, they're always going to play them up. Uh, there's this idea that hopefully they can nudge the public a little bit more towards them. But I do think that the underlying data does show that Lib Dems are making significant gains and the Tories are losing. In other news, uh, the Work and Pension Secretary, Therese Kofi, announced this morning that uh, the government is set to spend uh, over half a billion pounds uh, in an attempt to tackle benefits fraud. It's estimated that in the last year, about £8 billion was lost to fraud uh, in this area. Um, so, obviously, this is a problem for government. Uh, £8 billion is a lot. Um, and it certainly doesn't help their crime week line, their line that they're going to become uh, more tough on misconduct and, and criminal activity. Um, and so this half million pounds will be used, we know, to hire about 2,000 fraud investigators. Uh, we're not sure entirely how much further that money will go. Uh, obviously, you'd think half a billion pounds, more than half a billion pounds, should do significantly more than hire 2,000 investigators. You would think it could do, uh, you know, it could make, some, make a major impact. But there is a danger of the government throwing money at an issue that is deeper. Uh, the government during COVID has lost control of uh, a lot of its financial systems um, and benefits uh, is one of those. So we're seeing significant fraud in uh, COVID-19 uh, funds that and a lot of those have never been uh, have never been recovered and are likely never to be recovered. Um, and again, this benefits fraud, I think, really goes hand in hand with that. And that the government does not have the mechanisms at moment, at present, to at the moment, at present, to uh, to really tackle this issue. And half a billion pounds or half a billion pounds, okay. I mean, maybe, maybe it can make uh, make a difference. But but I'm skeptical, and I think a lot of other people within within the government are also skeptical uh, that this isn't really more than a press release. And again, it, it, it's uh, it's going to remain to be seen how much more they can do other than hire investigators. Um, but it certainly is something that the government's worried about, and uh, they're probably right to be taking some action to uh, tackle it. 
Uh, in further news, the Tr International Trade Secretary, Amory Trevelin, left Washington, D.C. Uh, last week with seemingly very little progress on a long-running steel trade uh, dispute. While I won't go into the details here of that dispute, it's pretty complicated and not particularly exciting, it does reach to the fact that there are uh, some problems between the UK and the US in their relationship post-Brexit that are still to be resolved. Uh, the US made it very clear that they would not prioritize Britain in global trade decisions if Britain was outside the EU. And we're seeing the effects of that. Uh, again, the fact that this negotiation and these talks didn't work out is a real indication of that. These are the kind of talks and negotiations that likely would have worked out uh, 20 years ago. Uh, but today, we're seeing the US being a lot more willing to push back on Britain and say that outside of the EU, our leverage is too little and that they have no real incentive to prioritize us um, above anyone else. Um, and that also means that when we have disputes like this, trade disputes, uh, that uh, we are in the same boat as any other independent nation who wants to go and negotiate with the US, which is to say, not in a great position. Um, so we'll see how this plays out, but it isn't looking good for the UK. And I think that over the next couple of years, we're going to see more and more of these issues where we're dealing with a close partner in the US, um, but we're seeing some real disruption in, in, in supply chains and trade around the globe. And so that relationship only goes so far when it really comes down to brass tacks. And these negotiations are likely to continue to stall um, unless some serious and substantial action is taken on the relationship between the UK and the US in regards to trade. And the UK lacks a particular strategy to do that. And while the trade secretary has been attempting to work on a strategy for that, uh, it we're, we're at a little bit of a, uh, a tough point here. And uh, there are very few routes out. So again, this is likely to remain a kind of long running issue over the next few years. Okay, uh, in international news, uh, the International Development Charity Christian Aid has been calling on the government to uh, identify payment channels to get uh, much needed aid funding into Afghanistan. This isn't just an issue for the UK, though uh, the UK has been uh, particularly active in, 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 uh, in the evacuation uh, from Afghanistan and in trying to get uh, individuals out of Afghanistan, and along with the uh, uh, the U.S. and some other partners. And so now the job is aid. Uh, Afghanistan is facing a number of serious crises uh, in terms of humanitarianism. They could be facing starvation. Uh, a lot of people still ha don't have access to serious funds and money. The Taliban have uh, so far been able to uh, set up a... Uh, operative government that is providing for people. And so there are many calls now for uh, aid funding into the country. And the UK is facing a, uh, a lot of those calls, right? Um, and so it's going to be key to try to find and identify these these safe payment channels. It's really, really difficult for governments to, uh, to find these channels because we're dealing with large sums of money, a regime that is clearly untrustworthy, that has continued uh, being brutal, that is unable to establish a stable and operative government. And there's a real danger that if aid funding goes in, the Taliban gets it, and they're going to waste it. 
and you're going to have continue to have that starvation, continue to have uh, humanitarian crises. And so the UK's decision on this and UK's action on these safe payment channels is going to be real key for the country over the next few months and uh, will probably be part of the uh, part of the reason why they either do or don't face a uh, continued starvation crisis. So this is something that um, I'm sure the Foreign Secretary and uh, International Development uh, Departments will be, be looking at closely. Okay, so in other news, um, the government is set to sell uh, its one-third stake in the Behavioral Insights team, uh, or the so-called nudge unit, uh, as part of a set of plans to try to attract investment in uh, smart ways to uh, get the country to reach net zero and to improve early years education and improve the public health of the country. While this is a much bigger issue to do with the government's um, involvement in uh, behavioral science in recent years. Uh, this indicates a uh, even larger push to attempt to create a dynamic and hospital environment for investors. And the government hopes that by getting some private investment in, they're going to be able to uh, better operationalize uh, their labor teams. For example, the, the behavioral insights team. Uh, in achieving their goals, which again, a lot of them are surrounding net zero and public health and education. Now, whether this effective is going to depend really on whether the government can uh, convince investors that uh, Britain uh, and the British state is a hospitable environment for investing. My guess on this would be that it's they're going to have a difficult time doing that. Um, but there are certain developments that have been made that make it a little bit more likely that they will have some uh, some effectiveness here, and selling their stake in the behavioral insights team could be could be a part of that. And for our final story today, we're talking about Russia and Ukraine. So the prime minister had a call with uh, the Russian president Vladimir Putin earlier, um, where he reiterated the UK and the UK allies' position that any uh, aggressive military action against Ukraine would be unacceptable, um, and that this is a major foreign policy issues for Western nations. This is after um, Joe Biden basically said the same in a call last week with Putin, uh, and Putin emphasized to Biden, and I presume emphasized to Johnson as well, that uh, troops on the Russian-Ukrainian border don't pose a threat. Uh, and in fact, actually, Putin said that he'd like to meet Biden in person uh, to discuss the issue. So it's really unclear uh, what's going to happen here. Uh, Putin does like to sort of push the West a little bit, push the US and UK and, uh, and Europe and NATO uh, into uh, a bit of nervousness, uh, get them a little bit jittery, but then pull back. Uh, this could be an example of that, but this also could be the start of Putin's uh, desired push based on all accounts that we have to start to not necessarily reform the Soviet Union to to reassert some of the geopolitical power that the Soviet Union had. Um, he's been using this phrase a lot, historical Russia, which while a slightly vague phraseology uh, could indicate his desire to bring in a country like Ukraine uh, more closely into the Russian 
geopolitical orbit. And that may involve force, or it may just involve this continued threat of force. While no one can really make any solid predictions on this, my prediction, based on what Putin has done in the past, would be that he's going to continue to have troops on the border, but is unlikely to make that extra step of actually invading Ukraine. But this is a real foreign policy concern for the US, the UK, uh, and Europe. It also has a lot to do with the Nord Stream uh, pipeline. This that 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 remains a big issue. Um, so it really the cards are really in Vladimir Putin's hand here. Uh, while if Russia invades Ukraine, NATO is likely to get involved, then we're likely to have a full-scale war. Um, that has a lot of risks for uh, Europe, the UK, the US, and NATO. Um, and uh, and so no one really wants that. Um, so it's, it's a tense environment. Russia holds a lot of power right now. Putin holds a lot of power, but also, of course, faces risks of their own. So... We'll see where this develops, um, but it's certainly a story to keep your eye on. Okay, well, that's our stories for the day. Um, I hope you enjoyed this quick run-through. Uh, we're a little bit time-limited, so we had to run through the stories fast. Um, again, we're still trying to tweak and improve the way the, the podcast is done, so uh, any suggestions or comments are really helpful. Um, and we will see you tomorrow for the business podcast. I've been Rustin Smith, and this is From the Post. Thank you.